People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today, the eviction moratorium. The Biden administration basically admitted that it overstepped its legal bounds. It knew it was doing it, but it was just trying to buy additional time for tenants who are facing eviction for non-payment of rent while the legal process plays out again. They know that the Supreme Court is not likely to uphold this extension of the moratorium. And yet, thanks to the activism of people like Cori Bush, this St. Louis congresswoman who's been sleeping out in front of the Capitol four nights in a row trying to prove what it's like to be homeless. <laughs> OK, um, they they bend. They bent. Uh, the Biden administration told the CDC to do it. And the CDC extended the moratorium, even though it was out of legal authority to do it. And now what about these landlords? Where do they go? How do they pay their mortgages? How would you do it if you were relying on your tenants uh, rent payment every month? And let's not pretend this is March 2020. It's not. It's it's August now, 2021. And there's been a whole lot of taxpayer money given to people who are suffering, tenants who are suffering. Some of the states haven't dispersed it, but why should the landlords have to suck that up? Right. Like, what's the matter with the states? And what message does this send to the renters who are managing to pay their rent, who are working extra hours and who are managing to honor their responsibilities? Today, we're going to have two landlords on. One is an actual landlord and one represents landlords. He's the president of a landlord association uh, up in Washington state. And wait until you hear this guy Adam's story, the landlord. Wait until you hear what happened to him as a result of this moratorium. We'll get into it in one minute. First, this. Adam, you're the actual landlord. And Daniel, you are the you're, you represent a landlord's association. So you represent a bunch of landlords. Correct. Yes, I'm the president of the Landlord Association of the Inland Northwest. Okay. And you guys are out in Spokane, Washington. Yep. Yep. All right. I don't know anything about Washington state. So what part of the state is that? Is that like politically speaking, is that a Dem area, a Republican area? Yeah, uh, it's (laughs) Spokane is a different color uh, rather than the red or the blue. Um, It's very hazy right now from all the wildfire (laughs) smoke. Um, it's a little more conservative, I think, than the West side, uh, a lot more conservative. We don't actively try to make bad policies. We kind of just accidentally make them over here. Right. Well, it's happening right now. So, um, let me start back uh, with, with you, Adam, your, your family has how many houses? Uh, they have, uh, three rentals in the Spokane area. And are they big houses, small houses? What are they like? Uh, they're three bedroom, two bathroom. Like a condo type of thing or a, or a standalone house? There's a standalone house. Okay. And why did they start buying up these properties? Why, why did they have those three properties? Well, the property, the depot out in Cheney, we, they bought um, when we, me and my brother were going to Eastern at the time. So we lived there at one point. So yeah, they just bought it as an investment, I believe. So as an investment. And, and prior to the eviction moratorium, had you ever had a problem with a tenant you know, who didn't pay the rent, needed to be evicted, that kind of thing. Uh, we've had, you know, late payments here and there, but nothing like this. No. Okay. Never, never where you have to actually kick the person out. No. And, but before the eviction moratorium, and I'll ask you this, Daniel, it was relatively easy to kick somebody out if you needed to as a landlord. Yes. 
Yeah, there was a pretty clear established process um, that everyone that and it's been the same process for forever. So the the eviction moratorium uh, kind of just just changed everything with regards to Washington State landlord tenant mm-hmm. law. What was it? It was basically you had to give twenty or thirty days notice, and then the person had to go if they were in arrears, if they weren't paying. Right. Yeah, you'd give them a pay or vacate notice. You know, you'd hire your your lawyer to, uh, and they'd hire a process server. You know, and you'd mail it to them and post it on their door and try to give it to them and you know let them know they have you know three days. Uh, to pay or vacate or 14 days to pay or vacate. Um, and now you can't even really serve those notices. Right. So then, so when the pandemic started and we went into quarantine and everybody was told to stay at home and they were shutting down businesses and so on, and we had that emergency eviction moratorium saying, for a number of reasons, you can't, can't keep, keep people out. A, we need people to stay at home. B, we're taking away jobs. The government is basically taking away jobs left and right thanks right. to this quarantine. How did you guys feel about the eviction moratorium then? As a as a landlord association, I mean, I think it was just kind of a strange time. Uh, I, I remember that time pretty vividly where, you know, I, I can give quite a bit of grace right at the start of, you know, what could have been, I don't know, I don't want to say it wasn't super, super serious, but it kind of seemed like it was going to be the end of the world. I thought that would be a faster process than like the end of the world we're currently experiencing. Yeah. Um, so at, yeah, at the time it was pretty shocking, but it was like, okay, well, they're going to do this for, you know, uh, our first moratorium, I believe was about 48 days. And so it's like, well, that's a month and a half. We'll get back to normal. And then yeah. here we are. No, there's no normal as we're all experiencing. So Adam, <laughs> did your tenants, and I know we're talking about the property out in um, Cheney, Washington, just outside Spokane. So did your tenants who were in there um, at the beginning of this eviction moratorium, were they paying their rent at the beginning? Um, No, they were not paying rent. And had they been paying rent prior to the announcement of the eviction moratorium? Um, They had stopped paying right around a couple months um, prior to the moratorium, right around around that time. So this is a nightmare for you because you had tenants who were, were already flouting their rental obligations and then the government swooped in to give them a big a big pass yeah so they were assisted through a government program so um and it was working and even if they were falling behind the program assisted them um and then the moratorium started um and that's when things you know they were not only not paying rent well they were not only not paying rent now um it seemed like now all responsibility for the tenant was gone. So they started destroying the property, um, becoming a nuisance to the community. Uh, there's 27 police reports just in the time that they were there. Oh, my gosh. So let's back up and talk about who moved in, because your heart was in the right place when you initially rented this property uh, to I think it was a couple. Right. It was at least one guy. I mean, he was a veteran and you wanted to help him and all, for all good reasons. Can you just give us a little bit of background? Yeah. So I've known Daniel for 10 plus years. He's one of my best friends. He was working with a government organization that houses veterans. Um, and my um, me and my parents attended a, a seminar that they were putting on. Um, and, you know, we have a special place in our hearts for veterans. Uh, they've served the country and they deserve, you know, support. So, um, you know, and this this program uh, said they would do just that. And, you know, as far as us being landlords, it was, you know, a little more secure because they were getting support and it seemed like a win-win, you know, uh, a good for everybody. So we were really excited about it. And so, yeah, that's how we initially, you know, started the process. And can you give us the first name of the tenant just so we have a name to work with for the show? Yeah, Thomas. Thomas. Okay, so Thomas moves in and and it's no accident he moved in. You guys both thought it would be a good idea. Help a veteran. Also, there's a government assistance program that helps veterans pay their rent. So that's good. Your heart was in the right place. The government and taxpayer funds were in the right place to help our veterans coming back from fighting get back yeah. on their feet. Okay. Yeah, it seemed so, like a great thing. Yeah. And what, and just at, on a larger level, Daniel, how, how do veterans normally do when they come back from fighting and they get this government assistance, they move into rental properties? Are they a reliable risk normally or? Yeah, yeah, no, they absolutely are. And this, so this program that I, I was working with is called the Supportive Services for Veteran Families Program. 
And what that program is, it's for veterans and their families that are currently experiencing homelessness or at immediate risk of experiencing homelessness. And so it's not just, um, it's not, you know, it's not just your, uh, you know, somebody, you know, takes their boots off and, you know, isn't in the military anymore. And then they, they transition to this program this program is specifically for, um, you know, people that are sometimes chronically homeless, you know, that have been experiencing homelessness for a long time up Mm -hmm. to, you know, you might be homeless tomorrow. You should, and there, it's really a fantastic program overall. Was was that the story with Thomas? Was he down and out? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, he, he, you know, just kind of the way things worked is, um, without giving, you know, too much, yeah. Uh, p- personal info. Um, he was one of those people. I'll just say that I, I feel like our country owes um, for for what they've done and the things that they've given up. And so it was pretty special to even be able to work uh, to work with him and his uh, his family because it was actually a large it was a large family. Um, and so they were on, but they had some barriers. You know, they had some rental uh, barriers that are really hard to overcome. Like um, bad credit, he, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Yes. Right, of course. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of things like that, uh, you know, <laughs> just they were kind of just uh, they were going to need a special touch. And so what I did was I worked very closely with them. And um, after Adam and his uh, parents came to one of the, you know, I would put on events for landlords in the community to talk about our program. And they, you know, they came out to it. Um, and, uh, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty touching, you know, that this is my buddy, you know, we have a great friendship. Uh, I don't mix, <laughs> I keep work at work. Um, but specifically I, I brought them because they needed to, you know, I needed to house this family. Mm-hmm. So it, Thomas was married with kids. Yeah. So they move in. And as I understand it, you had a very good relationship in the beginning, Adam, with the tenant. Yeah. Um, you know, we, yeah, we did. Um, Daniel even went out there and, you know, gave the guy guitar lessons. We, we reached out and said, if you guys need anything else, you know, clothes, um, you know, we have a, we have a big family. So if the kids, need, you know, need any clothes or anything, let us know. And, you know, we dropped rent from what we were initially charging 1400 to 12. We, we wanted it to work for him. It, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it seemed like a good thing to do and yeah, we wanted it to work. So. And, and by the way, Daniel, you tell me, but this is, this the beginning of this story underscores why we need mom and pop landlords. Absolutely, there was no way for uh, a lot of families in programs like this. It's not just exclusive to programs like the SSBF program, but or it could apply to the Section Eight program or lots of other types of programs. Um, you will not pass a rental criteria that especially large landlords have, you know, as a policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, smaller, like you know, and it's just no. And you can appeal some of those things, but usually it's no. Yeah, you um, need versus- a reasonable human who has the power to bend the rules on the other side. I have been on both right. sides of this as somebody who used to have absolutely no money coming out of school, having put myself through. And and I, w- I would look at people who wouldn't help me and say, but this is why there's a human being in your position, you know, who can use reason and kindness and heart to make decisions. When you're dealing with a corporate landlord, there's no reason and there's no heart. <laughs> so it's great right. to it's have because Adam, they get, the atoms of the world it's because and and it's because those big landlords get sued and that's when they make those you know if you give one person the deal and the next person finds out about it they're like hey wait a minute why didn't i get a deal and so the small it's landlords just a, it's just like, able to as do we that. see walmart and cvs and starbucks and all these banks take over the nation Amazon. It's just nice to be reminded that like mom and pop operations are important and they're important for a number of reasons. And this is just one, you know, hand to hand deals can be made and judgment exercise where it ought to be. Now, that that is not undermined by how this story ended, because not every risk pans out, you know, for I'm sure for every Thomas and it did not work out with Thomas, which is where we're going. Um, you've got a lot of other guys, gals, veterans in particular who live up to their obligations, who take the fresh start and make, make a go of it. One of the reasons you're on is because the fact that this guy didn't has made news and underscores the position you were put in by your federal government. Okay. So Adam, back to you. So things were going great. Daniel's going over there, giving Thomas free guitar lessons. You've lowered the rent. You guys are helping him out. 
and then a um, couple payments missed and you get the eviction moratorium. So were you, did you guys owe a mortgage on this property? Was it met? Was it a matter of if I don't get the rent, I can't pay my mortgage? Um, yeah. I mean, it's my, my dad got laid off during the coronavirus. So this is his main source of income. This is, you know, my mom and dad, my mom's retired. Dad didn't have a job. So it was, this is their retirement. So yeah, they, they heavily depend on the money. Um, every month, you know, it's, 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 it's his business. His income, yeah, so even though you know. he owns these three houses, he's not swimming in money. This is not a rich man. No, no, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, well, that makes sense. I mean, even in New York, it's the same thing. A lot of renters uh, and landlords in New York city and the landlords, even though they own these beautiful buildings that they, they need your money to pay their, their mortgage. That, that's how they pay these expensive mortgages. It yeah. Is, you know, my, a business. my what dad's a, my dad's an everyday guy. Like our, our other rentals are, you know, families that have been in there for five, six, seven years. So it's, and you know, they keep the rent affordable and yep. because for them, they would rather have it, you know, tenants in there, they're, are happy and it, you know, it all works. It's this, you know, there's, it can be stressful if you really, you know, get into it. So, um, well, and by yeah. the way, on your other properties, did the tenants stop paying their rents or did they continue paying throughout the moratorium? They continued paying. Okay. So yeah. this tenant was given a gift, Thomas. And what happened? So what, how did you first realize that this is getting bad? This is, this is about even more than not paying rent. Um, it was the, the police reports that we were getting. You know, Like I said, there was 27 uh, calls to the cops within the time they were there. Um, and so it was becoming you know, a nuisance to the community. Um, and then that on top of unpaid rent, we weren't really sure what we could do. We didn't know what our options were. Um, you know, the moratorium was so new, nobody really knew. Uh, we contacted a lawyer. Um, it just didn't seem like anybody really had any answers, you know, and we couldn't really afford our lawyer at the time. It was, you know, it's like make a quick phone call, you know, get some quick answers kind of thing. Cause, um, and it was difficult cause you know, they, the tenants had a free lawyer. So, we knew our, you know, our backs were kind of against the wall. So it was, yeah, it was. It was and why um, did the tenant have a free lawyer? Uh, the Northwest Justice Project um, is the Washington uh, free lawyers for tenants. And so this isn't about his status as a veteran. This is about the eviction moratorium. Not only will they stop the landlords from throwing you out if you don't pay your rent, they'll pay for your lawyer if the landlord does get to the point where he needs to take action. Yeah, and that and that organization it existed before um, the moratorium, and it's uh, I guess I think it would be labeled housing justice uh, or a uh, housing justice organization, mm -hmm. and and they have a good use because sometimes you know there is bad actors that are landlords or you know there's a business dispute and it's worth you know it's it's really cool when somebody that's very low income can be represented. Mm -hmm. um, however. Uh, not from the moratorium, but actually from uh, some of the legislation that's passed in Washington. Um, things like the Northwest Justice Project that's made to kind of help the, the little guy has kind of turned into um, a behemoth that helps all tenants avoid any eviction. Up in one minute, what Adam actually found in that house when he got back inside and a note, it was horrifying. It's a word of caution to all landlords whose heart may be in the right place about the power of government when connected with bad actors. That's in one minute. What kind of police reports are being filed, Adam? What, what were they alleged to have done? Um, domestic violence, drug use. It was this constant, you know, and it, it was, you know, an everyday thing. So we don't really know what was going on in there other than it was within, you know, a year and a half, there was 27 police reports and they were in there, uh, what, five months after that, which there was several more. Do you ever show up at the door and knock on the door and just say, Hey Thomas, what's going on? I mean, yeah, we tried, it would either be no response. Um, the one time that I did, you know, put a notice up, uh, there was a woman there and she, uh, she didn't even know who they were, who the tenants were, Thomas. What? She, Thomas yeah, she'd been they, they had been gone, yeah, for months, two months. I'm not quite sure how long they're gone for, but yeah, she didn't even know who they were. So now you've got squatters in there. 
Yeah. Uh, so the, the, you, I don't know what you do about them. Are they, are squatters covered by the eviction moratorium? Kinda. Uh, yeah yes me. yes they can be and washington uh you know we have a bunch of crazy liberal policies before the moratorium too um so don't we <laughs> let's get let's give us our fair due here we've been doing it the wrong way for a long time yeah it's um, not all the federal government yeah because there's several <laughs> states who have their own eviction moratorium on top of the federal one and whichever one is more strict is the one the landlord's yes. bound by yep so exactly yeah, exactly all right so adam so you when I, I imagine there was a point at which you were just looking at the end date of this moratorium thinking, just get me to that end date. Just get, let's just get there and then I can get these folks out, whoever's in there now. Yeah. Um, but it was so unclear when the end date was going to be. So what did you think? I mean, like, what what were you waiting for? What date? Uh, we didn't really know. Every You know, everything was so uncertain. It seemed like nobody had an answer for any of our questions. Um, and it seemed like uh, because of the moratorium, it was everybody's hands were tied. You know, we, the cops tried, you know, did a lot for us. They tried, they tried really hard and yeah, I just, there was nothing we could do because of the moratorium. So I didn't really know what to think. I pretty much was thinking we're going to lose our house. Hmm. I mean, at that point, that could have been a blessing. I mean, losing the house means it's now the bank's problem. I, I just, I'm thinking how long can this go on where you've got squatters inside who may be committing criminal acts you, over whom you have no control but might have to whom you may have potential liability. I mean, it goes on and on. I would think as a landlord, mm -hmm. it might be a blessing to have the, the, the bank take over. I mean, I mean, certainly they were in, they were in this position where, you know, it, this is a really hard part of being a landlord is a lot of times people that are landlords are older and you have to do, you know, estate planning and, you know, some asset planning on how, if you're going to exit the rental industry so that you don't pay too many taxes. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all of a sudden, right, you know, when Adam's father's retiring um, and then, you know, he picked up a side gig and then, you know, COVID happened um, and the whole goal of his retirement was, you know, it was, it was stress and it was time for, you know, dad to be home a little bit more like kind of like from the doctor type of a deal. And all of a sudden there's this very stressful situation. And so the, the first thought is, well, maybe we should just sell the, the unit. And, um, you are, you are allowed to do that in, um, under the moratorium, you can give a 60 day notice of intent to sell. Yeah. And it was, uh, I think 11 months after that notice that they finally got out. Wow. Wait, and you, when you give the 60 day notice, do they have to get out within the 60 days? Technically? Unless there's, uh, there is a certain amount of judicial discretion. <laughs> So, you know, if you uh, get the right judge, uh, maybe not. Um, but realistically, you could never sell the property with such tenants inside, right? I mean, no, I mean, we couldn't even we couldn't even show the uh, the house. They had, you know, they had spike strips on the driveway. It wasn't it, it wasn't a house. you. Yeah, it wasn't a house you wanted to approach. I mean, it's it's guns drawn when you're approaching that house. It's oh and I didn't gosh. really realize I didn't realize how dangerous it was until perhaps after the fact. But. You know, yeah, it wasn't, you don't go knock on the door and say, you know, how are you doing? It's. And was the house in a good area, Adam? And what kind of neighborhood is it? In? I mean, Cheney is considered one of the. It's a great town. Yeah. it's one That's of the... where I grew up as a kid, which is why I wanted to house them out there. Because I wow. never, I never once. That's how, you know, that's how I cared about those people. And I'm like, you know, if they need to get safe, you know, this, this person's done a lot. Let's get them into, uh, you know, Cheney has like the state patrol, the Spokane County Sheriff's, the Cheney Police Department and Eastern Washington University's police. I'm like, you guys are going to be safe here. No more of the worries of, you know, sleeping in your car, worried that your stuff's going to get ripped off. Your kids are going to get to go to school and it's going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to have a new life, a new, a new chance. So finally you get into court and does the judge side with you in terms of the eviction? So not the first time. Yeah, correct. Not the first time. It was uh, the second time. First you were told no because of the eviction moratorium. Yeah, correct. Okay. And so what finally got the judge to change their mind? I can give a, a little bit of info on, on the timeline. Um, sure. So as far as I can tell, um, what, what happened was, you know, they, they served a 60 day notice 
um, for the intent to sell. And uh, the realtors couldn't access the property because they were being literally chased away and and screamed at, um, you know, by whoever was there. And this was during a time when the courthouse and stuff was shut down due to whatever phase we were in. Right. Well, and she also claimed that she had COVID three times. Right. So people, the, yeah, the defendant kept claiming right that they had covid and what at the time and the courts were very and they didn't have, they didn't, there was no proof yeah no proofs required during the moratorium that you actually have covid but the yeah. courts were very willing to you know push the date out push the date out push the date out all There's the zero sudden, concern for landlords rights i mean zero 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 yeah. yeah correct um so so that's so that's what happened um it kept getting pushed out and ultimately uh you know adam's family and um their lawyer basically decided it let's just start over with this process, right? Let's give another 60 day notice and let's, you know, take it from the top, take two. And, um, after shortly after about, um, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 days after that notice was served, that's when there was a major, um, uh, you know, uh, felony assault, um, at the, at the property. And I, I think that that may have weighed um, at, at this point in the police reports that the police are like, we are at this house all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that kind of was the nail in, in the coffin because they, you know, they didn't leave again after the second 60 day notice. Um, and so at that point they could potentially be um, actually evicted even under the governor's moratorium. Mm-hmm. Right. It has to be it has to be that egregious in order to get around it. They make it so hard for the landlord. I mean, that standard of proof to get somebody out under this thing is next to impossible. You kind of have to have a tenant like this in order to get around it, um, because yeah, the, the presumption is always with the tenant. They're they're bending over backwards to help the tenants. And this is even though we've given billions of dollars in relief to tenants. I mean, the, the federal government understands that it put tenants in and landlords in a tough position. And has been giving out billions of dollars. And yet, I guess the complaint is that the states are not getting that money to the tenants. Um, you know, you can make the argument either way, because the, the, the truth is that the unemployment rate is extremely low right now. People are getting back to work. The jobs report in July was better than it's been in years and uh, way better than they expected it to be. And so, you know, there's a real question about why the tenants who aren't paying their rent aren't paying it. Why aren't they working well, at this point? It incent- the moratorium incentivizes bad behavior. You know, it's it's not you don't have to take responsibility for for yourself. It's and, and and there's no you know there's no consequences. So it leaves no recourse for the landlords at all. You know, this they these tenants were through a government supported system, and we had to get you know an, an expensive lawyer and even with the police reports, it took a long time to get them out. And I think it was only really under extreme circumstances that, you know, we were able to. And the damage is not over. It's the house is still, you know, destroyed. Well, what happened, Adam, when you finally got them out, you got the order and you, you um, finally got into the house? What did you see? Yeah. So, you know, we uh, we couldn't afford clean, you know, a cleaning crew. So it was me and my father went out there um, to our house and it was atrocious. You know, it was it was a nightmare. It was really disheartening was you know um garbage everywhere you know heroin needles feces broken windows broken doors spray painted you know on the floor spray painting you know cuss words there was you know it was like it it was devastating you know um we had to clean everything out i mean just the amount of garbage and dump just the dump fee was upwards of four grand just in just to go just to dump the garbage that's much stuff was in the house so it was devastating. I mean, it was something that we obviously, you know, we, we talked about it every single day. It started to consume my dad, you know, it's how are we going to get this fixed? What are we going to do? Is it worth selling? Um, and, you know, it's it's somebody who destroyed your property, destroyed it's their income, it's their livelihood. So it was, it still is something we're, you know, we're dealing with. It's, mm-hmm. it's wrong. Right. Because it's not just money. It, it tugs at your heartstrings. It's a, it's a constant yeah. stressor. And, you know, I'm not blaming the tenants. They, you know, they, I mean, in certain ways, but, you know, they, they had a a rough past and they needed, you know, support and they needed a chance. I'm not so much 
harping on them. They have troubles that they need to, you know, get through. But it was really the system in place, the moratorium um, with no plan or recourse for the landlords. Nothing you can do. Someone is blatantly destroying your property. And when's it going to stop? We didn't know. Is it, is it over it now even? bad behavior. Can you just explain yeah, I mean, that? Well, having no responsibility for your actions incentivizes bad behavior. I mean, you know, and, not, and now it's not only, oh, we're not going to pay rent. It's we're going to break your stuff. You know, people who otherwise wouldn't do th- such things. When you, when you put something in such as a moratorium, it, what's the rules now? You're not paying rent. There's no response. You know, there's no, re- there's no consequence for not paying rent. It ins- you know, people start doing uh, bad things, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, so, what, what would you say to the people who say, well, you had two other rental, rental properties where people didn't do that. So can't blame the moratorium. It's just one guy on a bad path. One's enough. One out of three, it leaves us. I mean, it doesn't sound like a good gamble to me. And quite frankly, it's, it's not right. I mean, it doesn't quite make a difference if, you know, these other tenants did it right. Well, th- these people didn't. And, they're, and the system completely failed us here. And, you know, what if you had a, an, an apartment complex or, you know, it's not just me that's getting, you know, affected by this. It's, it's a big mm-hmm. deal. Well, of course, people who are paying the rent, you are looking around saying, why am I paying my rent? <laughs> a lot of people yeah. are looking around saying, right. I'm, I'm paying my rent and what, he's not paying his rent and we're both living in a similar house. How's that fair? Well, you know, we were and we were scared that our other tenants would, you know, the, the whole coronavirus thing was new to us. And it seemed like one of our houses was getting completely destroyed and it was a complete nightmare. So yeah, every month, you know, we're wondering like, I hope the other tenants like don't do anything similar to this or, you know, and thank God they didn't, but is that a risk that we should have to take? Mm-hmm. And the, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, you'll probably know this better than I will, but um, the, the assistance goes out to people who are making pretty good money. I mean, it was like, 195,000 or near 200,000 bucks as a couple, um, just under that, you're eligible. You can get, you, you can get the advantage of the eviction moratorium. I mean, that's pretty good mint. Right. And really what it's, what it's doing is it's created, there, there's no responsibility because there's no consequences and, and consequences are a good thing. You know, when, when somebody's doing something, you know, a bad behavior that not pro-social, behavior, it's good to have those consequences because that's how people change. Yeah. Right. And, and these, if, people, if you, these people are getting $600 a month. I mean, a week, a week from the government already, like as part of the COVID relief. Right. And, so, and there's, you don't have to prove it. Maybe things have changed slightly in the sense that if you get into court, maybe that'll bring up a little bit more what your actual economic situation is. But for a very long time, you could not even ask if they had lost income. So, you know, a lot of people were working from home and they, you know, that haven't paid rent. Their incomes didn't go down. I know in this instance that their income did not change over the course. So they were still getting whatever checks they'd been getting when they'd been paying the rent. It sounds like in this case, they may have been diverting some of that to drugs. Not to rent. That's what, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I can say that they weren't paying their rent with, with the money that they were receiving. Yeah. I, so what's happening is I was paying for whatever they were doing in that house. You guys were paying for whatever they were doing in that house. The people right. listening to this program, it's federal federal money going to folks to trying to help them bridge this unemployment gap, um, even though they can earn quite a big salary and still get it. And then if they're not paying the rent, we're backing them up again without doing much of an inquiry to see whether they're an appropriate candidate. It's just a wide swath moratorium. It's not really not individual. And even when you get in court, from what you're telling me, there's not much of an interest in probing the specific circumstances. Yeah, it didn't help anybody in this case. Didn't help, you know, certainly didn't help us and it didn't didn't help them either. In one second, I'm going to ask the guys about Corey Bush out there pretending she's homeless by sleeping on the Capitol steps for a couple few nights in a row, as if this is somehow representative of what the homeless population experiences. Um, she says this is a matter of human dignity. Do the guys agree with that? And what's their response to her? This is an interesting segment. Uh, We'll get to it in just a second. But first, it's time for another edition of From the Archives, where we bring you some sound we feel you must hear from our growing library of podcasts. Today, we're going to bring you back to January of this year and episode 50. Let me set the stage. This was one week after January 6th. Donald Trump had just been kicked off of 
every social media platform. And in the episode, we talked to the CEO of Parler, whose app was being forced out of existence by big tech. And then we talked to the CEO of Substack, which at the time was just starting to become a force in the independent media space. Here's part of my conversation with the co-founder of Substack, Chris Best. People are scared. So I think a place like Substack is probably looking good to folks who are worried they might get booted or their platform might get, you know, attacked. But you're not immune from this, are you? Are you immune to this, to this kind of crackdown? Because you you also have servers that you probably don't control, no? Yeah, I mean, I you know, th- that's part of why this stuff is worrying to me too. Right? Like, I don't think that we should be having people shut down people's servers and all that stuff. I think that that, that way lies madness. To me, the more interesting question here though is not like you know yes our present moment is is crazy everyone's starting to kind of like realize that things have gone off the rails but things have been going off the rails like for some time and my this is sort of the reason we started substack it's the reason we started this company is i kind of feel like the place we're at now is a necessary consequence of the way that like the internet and our reading habits and the the incentive structure within media has been pushing the whole discourse for the past sort of decade. Outrage, I mean, outrage, outrage. Outrage, 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 right? You have all these things where like, you know, on, on social media, on these feeds that are maximizing for engagement, you know, it's all about these takes, right? The people are fungible. It doesn't matter who says the take. As long as someone says the take, it's going to like take off and, and be great. And that means that you get this kind of, you know, market for outrage, where even if you're, even if you're an honest person and you don't want to take the, 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 the cheap take, someone's going to take it, right? So any incendiary take that can exist will eventually exist. The truth gets devalued. Um, we have this, it completely breaks our ability to like see our own society and understand it, right? Because you're always seeing the craziest takes from everybody that you see as your enemies and you get this funhouse mirror view of society where everybody that's not on my team is completely crazy. It completely justifies whatever my team does. And if you, if enough people believe that, if enough people, you know, even if you don't believe in uh, what people say on social media, people tend to believe that other people believe it. And then you get this effect where that becomes a reality, right? It, it, people start to organize around these crazy lines where, Whatever we do is justified. Whatever they do is awful. Everything is in this complete fight to the death. And then you get this, this group think, right? Where anybody that's critical of your own tribe is, is, lives in fear of being ostracized, of being shut out. What have we seen since? Well, Andrew Sullivan on This Week Again, he has a Substack column. It's crushing it, as is Glenn Greenwald's and Matt Taibbi's. Barry Weiss joined Substack shortly after that, too. For now, the censorship fans are not going after Substack too hard, although you know it's coming because already they're saying like, oh, it's not it's not big journalism. You know, there's no editor and so on. Oh, please. Um, Like you can totally trust The New York Times because of its editors. Right. (laughs) Let me tell you, half the interviews I've ever given, you know, profile pieces of me or about my journalism, the reporter's perfectly friendly. They do a perfectly nice job. And then once the editor of these left wing magazines gets his or her hands on it, they turn it into a massive hit piece on you. So you can see the work of these left-wing editors in these publications, even on my stupid profile levels, never mind when it's something about Trump or to the day's politics or, you know, general cultural issues that you know these editors are on the left side of. Anyway, Substack is important, and the absence of an editor is a good thing, in my view, when you trust the journalist doing the writing. So what's next? Podcasts? Hmm? Are they going to come after The censor's going to come after us? Already we've seen some of that. Well, bring it bring it because that's one good thing about the serious show. We're going to be live. You can't censor it. It's going out there live. Good luck. (laughs) Anyway, for now, we're going to keep bringing you more highlights from the archives. And now back to our guests right after this. We've seen Cori Bush um, out. She's sleeping night after night out in front of the Capitol building. (laughs) This is somehow going to represent what it's like for homeless people um, with her $70,000 worth of security. But anyway, so she's uh, she's railing about people like you who are opposed to this extension, which, you know, Biden already said they couldn't do. He already said we checked it four times, quadruple checked. And uh, I guess on on the quintuple check, they realized, oh, maybe we could. It's, it's all it's all a sleight of hand. They can't do it. It's not lawful. They're doing it anyway. They're trying to run out the clock until it gets back up to the Supreme Court. But here's Cory Bush trying to explain why 
This is necessary. Listen. When you sleep outside on the ground, you are um, open and you are vulnerable to all the elements. However, whatever those elements are, it was cold last night and now it's super hot. We've still been here. I still have on the same clothes I had on last night. I'm dirty. I'm, I'm dirty. I'm sticky. I'm sweaty. I still have on what I had on last night. This is how people will have to live if we don't do something. Seven million people, six million, 11 million, how many ever it is, they deserve their human dignity. What's your what's your message for her? I don't know if it's that simple of an answer, but simply just allowing tenants to not pay rent. I mean, where's where's the human dignity for for me uh, cleaning up heroin, heroin needles and feces in, in my home that has unpaid rent for over a year and it's destroyed? I just wonder, what is she even suggesting? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, what's uh, like I, what's I get plan? I get that she cosplayed uh, for a couple of days and look. People that have the lived experience of homelessness, it is terrible. She she's not t- totally incorrect, which is yeah. why this is why this issue is so important because we're kind of mixing a few kind of key distinct things. One, if we're talking about actually helping people that are experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness, we're talking about housing them. That's what that's the the paradigm of these housing programs through HUD. Um, or HUD-funded programs, and just in general for housing programs, it's called Housing First. And and what it means is, is when you have somebody that's experiencing homelessness, like let's say you're sleeping in your car, it's impossible to go get a job. It really kind of is too, you know, because where do you brush your teeth? Where do you where do you wash your clothes? You, you do that at your mm-hmm. home usually. And so I understand what she's what she's getting at. There's some truth there. Yeah. But here's the thing: these policies are getting rid of landlords like Adam and his family, that would normally, that would maybe, maybe they would rent to this gal and her $70,000 worth of security sleeping, you know, on the steps, you know, maybe she could pass the application process. And even if she didn't, maybe they would figure out how to make it work. But she's, she's essentially stating like, oh, well, housing's a a human right, which I would Mm -hmm. also potentially agree with that. Um, but what she's not talking about is what this means for your property rights. And, and that's where this, this, it, it, the conversation has to, it has to shift because we used to have property rights. I, I actually remember before the moratorium, it's a, right. it's a, I, I remember before COVID it's the strangest thing. That was like 10 years ago. It feels like, right. But we had a little bit more rights back then. And if you were to see, you know, the difference between like Adam's demeanor, his family's demeanor, the stress that this puts on them, it went from being like, I'm sure glad that we have these units, um, you know, to, to supplement our income as our parents are in retirement age. It went from that to, I really hope that we don't lose everything. Mm. And so how, how can you even work with these programs if, if the risk is well, well, may, maybe you know, maybe the unit's fucking destroyed, okay, yep. or maybe it's not. But but this person's saying, well, you know, I'm sleeping outside and it's cold and stuff, and it's like, well, hey, those are those are kind of unrelated issues. Mm-hmm. And you guys were already trying to solve the issue she's speaking about. You need willing landlords like Adam. Who are who will lower the rent? Who will check on the tenant? Guys like you who will go give the guitar lessons and and you know just take a risk on somebody who the Black Rocks of the world will not. And and right. her approach, which doesn't factor in landlords' rights, property rights, or the humanity of the landlords renting at all, is a disincentive to them to help the very people she claims to want to assist. Correct. Right. And you're, you're supposed to reward good behavior. So these, these tenant advocates, I consider myself an affordable housing advocate um, because I have a huge heart for, you know, people in rapid rehousing programs, people on Section 8 vouchers. You know, uh, there's also a type of voucher called HUD-VASH, which is Section 8 for uh, disabled veterans. There's a huge need for the services that they provide. But if you eliminate, um, whether it's through increased taxes, or increased regulation, massive, massive, like this has never happened. This type of uh, regulation to happen kind of all with a stroke of a pen 
to fundamentally change the, the real estate market in the state that I, you know, in Washington state, they don't realize that, well, there's, there's getting, there's going to be less and less and less rental homes for people to rent to. Mm-hmm. Um, Spoke, Spokane's not in the news for a lot of things. Usually we're in the news for like a serial killer or something like that. Um, <laughs> but we were recently. You and Iowa. <laughs> yeah yeah we're, we got we got some cool stuff going on over here um <laughs> cool, yeah we'll it's pretty exciting mm-hmm. pretty exciting uh we also have the hottest uh like rental market in the united states one of them i, I know we were in the top five uh, a month ago and we were the number one for rent increases um and the reason why that this is kind of happening is the housing stocks going down because sink for and this is specifically for single family uh, home uh, landlords, right? Not apartment buildings, but single family homes like mm-hmm. Adam's parents have. Is you, when you sell that home, you're not selling it to another landlord. You're selling it to an owner occupier. Mm. And so that rental unit just goes away. There's one less home for a family to move into. Mm-hmm. And it's not just affecting people that are experiencing homelessness, it's affecting everyone that wants to rent. Yeah. That's why the rent's gone up so much because guess what? These landlords see, you know what? This risk, what's happening to my property rights is not worth it to stay in this game. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cash out while you, this is the highest our house housing prices have ever been here. My impression when I listen to these politicians talk about this issue is they treat all landlords like they're, you know, money bags. You know, like you, you got more, we got money coming out of your years. And then on the other side, there's the poor tenants who you're, you know, you're like a veteran, you're trying to push him out and he's down on his luck and the government screwed him over and, and you're sitting back there with four houses and screw you, right? Like that's how the media covers this. That's how the people like Cori Bush talk about this. They, they've done right. a pretty good job of demonizing the evil landlords. Well, it's not, that's not the case. Um, like I said, you know, my parents are everyday people and every time they even, you know, bought a house, it was a sacrifice to get the house, you know, it was a big deal. It wasn't like, oh, we're just going to buy, you know, it's years and years of savings to, to get a house. And then we fix it up, you know, we, it, it's a long process. And, you know, a lot of time, you know, if, they, if they're moving out and you've got a couple months, a couple weeks, you know, a little gap, sometimes you're breaking even, you know, and my parents don't, we're not, they're not one of those, you know, landlords that, that they keep the rent affordable. They want people mm-hmm. in there that are, that everything's, you know, kosher, it flows, it works. We don't, you know, it's good for everybody. Um, so we're, you know, they have very reasonable in, in those terms. So it's, this is their income. My dad hasn't had a, a steady job in 10, 15 years. So this is his source of income. The government says they're supposed to pay you back, right? That the, the tenant, you can't throw them out, but eventually they're supposed to pay back all that rent. What are the odds I of that? I don't happen? know. I, I don't know. Did they even say that? Yeah, they say a lot of things. <laughs> the, the government says lots of things. Even even uh, Joe Biden, you know, recently criticized the states for sending out the money too slowly, which I mean, at that point, it means it's I think we can confirm that the money's being sent out too slowly. And you have to kind of ask yourself why. Yeah, um, why? This, this is this is this is a good example of why, because they you know, let's talk about housing first again real quick. So housing is the most important thing in these people's lives, which is what you know, uh, what'd you say her name was? Uh, the gal on the steps. Yeah. So I guarantee she's a huge, guaranteed. She's a huge housing first advocate. Guaranteed. She'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know what they're not really taking into consideration is, you know, housing first applies to a few different people and we need housing first to apply to the landlords too. You're not supporting them. Uh, apparently there's supposed to be some money that they're going to get. Why isn't it getting to them? It's because they only pay the landlords or the tenants. Both, right? The what the government funds do is they fund these grants and the grants get picked up by nonprofits, right? That that have the ability to or the capacity um to to do the grant, you know, because there's only so many you're nonprofits. Talking, you're talking non non moratorium stuff now. You're talking about housing first and other policies that are well, meant to get no uh, good so for this people. For this CARES Act and American Recovery Act funds, right? There, uh, there's a ton of money for for tenants and to potentially pay landlords like Adam 
Um, but the issue is one, it's hard to find organizations that have the ability to even do that. And two, when you see these grants, they're hiring people for 16 to 18 bucks an hour to give landlords, you know, to deal with these claims. And I just wonder like, okay, I thought housing was the most important thing yet. You're going to require a master's degree to go work at a nonprofit for 16 bucks an hour. Like how, no wonder these jobs aren't getting filled. Well, so what's that? Did you file a claim, Adam, that would reimburse you some of this money from the federal government, from the, from the COVID relief cares act? We did. Um, we haven't seen any money. Hmm. Do they say that they'll that? I mean, on paper, is there a representation that you could get all of it back? No, 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 nobody's no. So what, what had happened was that we did have a, uh, uh, a mitigation fund in Washington state through the department of commerce. And here's the deal. It can pay up to $5,000, but if you take the money, you can do no further action against the tenant against anyone. And when you have the, yes. So it's a good deal, right? Which it is a really good deal. If there's a lot less damage, it's a really good deal. You know, like let's say there's a couple broken, a broken door or yeah. a broken window. Yeah, stuff happens, you know, and, and that mitigation fund, I've personally helped landlords when I was working at social service agencies fill out the paperwork. But, you know, when COVID happens, what happens is these offices, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying, these offices were shut down for in-person, you know, people weren't at work mm-hmm. due to the COVID restrictions. And so they made this huge juggernaut of regulation and then sent everyone that would do anything home. Yeah, right. right. And so they're wondering, like, well, why wasn't my claim processed? It's because there's no one in the office to, to, to process it. Even now? Well, now they're starting to be. I mean, things are opening up quite a bit more. Um, I, I know that Washington, uh, you know, we love shutting down here. So, like, I'm sure <laughs> this uh, this fall we're going to we're going to probably, you know, we're, we're going to do it again. I bet um, if I if I were to guess now, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a doctor or anything, but if I, if I, if I know them, um, there's going to be a reason, right? There's always a reason to extend the moratorium. The moratorium has been extended seven times in Washington. Mm. Wow. There's always a reason to extend it. And what's so fantastic about the last extension is they don't call it a moratorium anymore. They call it a, a bridge program. And the reason why they had to do this was because, uh, co- you know, a lot of people are, are getting vaxxed. Uh, we're at 70% in Washington. And so they, wow. they didn't say we need to extend the moratorium because of COVID. What Jay Inslee said was that we need to extend the moratorium because we haven't put into place any of these um, enforcers of these reg- regulations that we've done. And we need more time to send out the grant money that we promised we would send out. We promise we'll do it this time unless Not we have sure. to extend it again. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Adam and his dad are living with the stress, wondering if they can pay the mortgage, wondering. And by the way, is there a is there a is there a corresponding order that the banks cannot foreclose on on the landlords? I think if you have certain types of loans, I believe like federally subsidized um, loans, I, I believe that 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 might be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I mean, you don't have to. You have to keep paying your mortgage. <laughs> Don't leave me now. We got more coming up in 60 seconds. You go into the house. It's a, it's a mess. And I saw pictures of the house um, that you gave our producers and they're beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it's a lovely uh, home and it was in great shape when you delivered it to this tenant. And it is just sad. Now I saw the profanity and F you and just vulgarity spray painted here, there and everywhere. And so now what do you do? Like, what's, what's your future plan? My parents are, you know, trying to sell the property, but they don't, they don't know what they're going to do. Uh, it's still, the house is still ruined. We're getting it, you know, fixed up, but it's hard to get work out there. And, you know, they're slow moving on the work uh, um, to be done out there. So we really don't know what we're going to do. No one has an answer for us. So if, if um, the Supreme court, <laughs> if the Supreme court, doesn't take this case and scold the CDC for overstepping its bounds, um, they'll, the, play, the thing will stay in place. The moratorium will likely stay in place. If, even if the best case scenario is it gets resolved and the CDC can't extend it past, I guess, the beginning of October. 
mean, you tell me, Daniel, what what you think people ought to be thinking about, because a, a lot of people out there are basically just thinking we need to help people who we screwed over by taking away their jobs, telling them to stay inside. And, you know, an economy that for whatever reason has been stalled in terms of the job front. And a lot of people say it's because the unemployment checks are too big and people make more money on their couch. But what do you want people to be thinking about as we watch this case work its way through the legal system and the CDC, sure. maybe finding the sex tuple look allows them to extend it even further than October? Uh, I would say uh, first, I mean, <laughs> first of all, they're going to try to keep extending it. Uh, the, to quote Ronald Reagan, um, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. Mm-hmm. And so I, true. I don't I don't see, you know, that's pretty rare for the government to give up power. Like we, we still take our shoes off at the TSA. Right. Um, and so that's not going away. Um, they're creating the infrastructure. Things are bad. And, and the reason why a lot of people don't really talk about it, um, especially some of these larger landlords, like why are they out of the conversation? Because you would kind of figure you would kind of figure that their property rights matter, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's because people don't want to affect um, the values of the assets in their portfolios which is why you don't even hear it's like well how many people aren't paying rent well that's impossible to answer because if you have now a single family home I'm I'm a capitalist so I believe that if I see a home that I you know want to buy and you're selling it for a certain price and I think that's a good price I think we got a good deal but with an apartment building let's say you know there's 10 units in a building and let's say four of them aren't paying rent but how much is the building worth and and that question <laughs> The the disagreement on the value of the assets between buyers and sellers is really fundamental to what could be coming, okay? Um, because these big apartments are businesses; they're not just property. It's kind of like a property that it's a property that is a business. With a single family home, it's like a property that you, you're running a business on, but you could always just sell it to a nice family, right? Mm-hmm. Well, why would you buy a bunch of properties if you know that people aren't paying the rent and you can't kick them out? Well, aren't they going to find that out eventually? I mean, when you when you're buying a house, don't don't you get to see who's paying the rent and who's not if you're buying this as a rental property? No, nobody wants to talk about about this, okay? Because this is a multi multi billion dollar, probably trillion dollar industry. Is we're going to be changed? We the the regulation itself is going to, I don't care what Zillow says, I disagree (laughs) with their assessment of like, no, the property values are are going way up, way, way up. I'm like, oh yeah, well then how come the landlords don't have any money? Sounds like, sounds like it's really going up. Sounds good. So you're, you're just betting on appreciation, right? You're, you're, (laughs) you're betting on appreciation to get you through not having any income from your business. It's really dicey. And on a big level, you could see how this really endangers banks and this really endangers, and they're just going to keep adding more regulation, right? Like their their answer is like, oh well, we don't like the last, you know, rule we made, so we're going to make ten more rules, and then before we even figure out how to do those, we'll make we'll make more rules, and we'll make more rules. We don't even know, and we'll flout you know? our old our old rules as well. Forget those initial rules, even though they're still on the book. Forget those rules, so there's no predictability we don't like those for rules. the landlords. <laughs> yeah, we don't like those. As it turns out, those are bad rules. Those are bad. Yeah, rules. I know. We and it's, we and like it's easy rules. for people like me to report on it and people like Cory Bush and Chuck Schumer to comment on it. And it's a lot less easy for guys like you who are actually living it and having to deal with these edicts um, to, to actually make make sense of it and abide by it and then handle the consequences. Look, I really, really appreciate you guys coming on and telling your story. And I appreciate your effort to help people who are hurting, you know, people who are homeless, veterans who need help. Um you know, I hope it's not a no good deed goes unpunished situation. I hope it's it turns into something where you can continue helping and still paying your own bills and, you know, feeling like the system works. But man, it'll be despite the government and not thanks to it. We'll continue to follow it, guys. All the best to you both. Thank you so much. Hey, pleasure talking with you. You can find The Megyn Kelly Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe. You can download the podcast, rate it, and review it. Five stars, of course. Uh, and then go and spread the word. Send the Apple Podcast link to others who might want to subscribe, who you think will like it, and even those who you think might hate listen to it. Uh, or if Apple Podcasts is not your thing, you can go to Spotify, Google, iHeart, TuneIn, or wherever you may listen to podcasts. You can find us for free. For free. What a deal. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. 
No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.